BridgeBank helps breakthrough ideas actually break through and remains dedicated to providing financial solutions to the risk takers, the game changers, and the disruptors. BridgeBank, a division of Western Alliance Bank. BridgeBank, be bold, venture wisely. Hi there, I'm Randad Fattah from ThruLine. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. Good morning. This is the California Report. I'm Saul Gonzalez in Los Angeles. We start with the pandemic. The U.S. has surpassed more than 10 million coronavirus cases and looks like it's on track to hit record hospitalizations. Here in California, COVID-19 cases are increasing as well. And yesterday in a press conference, Governor Gavin Newsom warned the public once again about the dangers of pandemic complacency. KQED politics correspondent Marisa Lagos has more. Governor Newsom struck a measured tone, noting that while California is seeing rising numbers in all of the key areas, including positivity rates and ICU bed admissions, that the state has the capacity to handle the increased caseload. Newsom warned, however, that several counties may have to dial back reopening plans this week after spikes in those areas. He didn't specify which counties. Newsom says it's obvious why cases started climbing again in October. People are letting their guard down. They're taking their masks off. They're starting to get together outside of their household cohorts. They're starting to see businesses reopen, and we're starting again to see more people mixing. The governor says as it gets colder, he expects to see more of that mixing and potentially more cases. For The California Report, I'm Marisa Lagos. A World Series win does not guarantee immunity from diseases. At least five people who work for the Los Angeles Dodgers have tested positive for COVID-19. KQED science reporter Molly Peterson has more about that. The L.A. Department of Public Health requires companies to report when three or more employees contract the virus. Health officials say workplace outbreaks have been on the rise in Los Angeles, and they're part of why the county remains in the most restrictive tier far from reopening. News of the Dodgers outbreak comes 10 days after the team won baseball's World Series. Tests that came back during Game 6 of the series confirmed third baseman Justin Turner was sick with coronavirus. He later broke isolation rules to celebrate with teammates and without a mask. But Major League Baseball says Turner won't be disciplined. County health officials say the team is cooperating with an investigation. The Dodgers have refused to comment. For the California Report, I'm Molly Peterson in Los Angeles. Meanwhile, a panel of experts with the state's Department of Public Health is getting to work this week on how to decide who's first in line to get a coronavirus vaccine. This comes after Pfizer's announcement yesterday that the company's vaccine is more than 90 percent effective. KQED science reporter Laura Clivens has more. Nursing home residents, healthcare workers, teachers, grocery store clerks, people who work in meatpacking plants, folks who live in hard-hit communities. The list of people who could be prioritized for the COVID-19 vaccine is long. And at first, there just won't be enough vaccines to go around. Dr. Bernard Lowe is a professor emeritus at UCSF and is on the state's panel that will make decisions about who will be prioritized to get a vaccine. He spoke at a Zoom webinar. 
process by which those decisions are made is really important if people are going to trust that the allocation process is fair. It needs to be transparent, I think, and it needs to include stakeholders. Lowe and colleagues have begun discussions with the goal of having a framework laid out by the time a vaccine is available. For the California Report, I'm Laura Clivens. Election Day was one week ago today, but several congressional races here in California are still too close to call. In North LA County, for instance, just 1,200 votes separate Republican incumbent Mike Garcia and Democratic challenger Christy Smith. Smith is ahead at the moment. Another race that's still up in the air is in California's 21st congressional district in the Central Valley. This race was also closed two years ago when it was the last one to be called in California. KQED Central Valley correspondent Alex Hall has more on this rematch of political rivals. Back in 2018, Republican David Valadeo looked to be on the verge of holding onto his seat as congressman in the 21st district once again. It wasn't until late November that Democrat T.J. Cox pulled ahead and won. And now, a week after election night, Valadeo is leading again by less than 5,000 votes. On Sunday, Cox released a video message with an update on the ballot counting process. We've seen record-breaking turnout in this election, and just like in 2018, tens of thousands of ballots haven't been counted yet. And we're going to have to be patient, and we're going to need to fight to make sure that every ballot gets counted. We'll be doing everything in our power to ensure a lawful and accountable ballot tabulation process. In campaign emails sent out in recent days, T.J. Cox has made a pitch to supporters for donations to pay for a looming recount, saying the best way to stop a Republican takeover is by preparing for a recount now. Fresno State political science professor Thomas Holyoke says that sounds like something we've heard recently from another candidate. Well, I've heard that the president of the United States is doing it. It's just on a, on a vastly grander scale than in Congressional District 21. Holyoke says it's not surprising that T.J. Cox's campaign is raising money after Election Day because this race isn't really over. In fact, if it plays out anything like it did two years ago, this is just the beginning. Because the race was so razor close in 2018, and it looks like it's unfolding in much the same way again. And that means that I don't think anyone has any idea how this is going to come out. On election night, Valadeo said he expected the count to take a while, especially because the district spans all or part of four counties. For The California Report, I'm Alex Hall in Fresno. But in East San Diego County and part of Riverside County, one lingering congressional contest is now over. Voters have returned former Republican Representative Daryl Issa to Congress. If the name sounds familiar, that's because a Republican lawmaker made a name for himself investigating the Obama administration when he represented another district. KCRW's Cherry Glazer has more. Issa served in the House for almost 20 years, representing parts of Coastal Orange and San Diego counties, most recently the 49th District. He retired in 2018 as a mix of demographic changes and redistricting shifted the region more to the left. Then earlier this year, the neighboring 50th District opened up when Congressman Duncan Hunter pleaded guilty to stealing campaign funds and resigned. The 50th is more inland and thought of as one of the reddest districts in Southern California. ISA was considered the frontrunner in the race from the start, given his name recognition and close ties to President Trump. His wealth also helped. ISA pumped millions of dollars of his own money into the campaign and outspent his rival, Democrat Amar Kampanajar. But Kampanajar put up a tough fight, losing by just seven percentage points. 
That was KCRW's Cherry Glazer. Here in Los Angeles County, newly elected District Attorney George Gascon has announced an ambitious justice reform agenda once he takes office. Here's Gascon speaking during an online press conference. We will stop the death penalty immediately. We will begin to unwind current cases that are on the death penalty track. Uh, we will immediately stop prosecuting children as adults. Uh, we have committed, and I have committed personally, to reopening some cases involving law enforcement uses of force. Gascon also promised better treatment options for people with mental health problems in the criminal justice system. A former LAPD officer, Gascon was DA of San Francisco before running for district attorney in Los Angeles. As Los Angeles County's DA, Gascon will oversee the largest local prosecutorial office in the country, with more than a thousand attorneys on staff. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks. Later today, the U.S. Supreme Court hears, with its new 63 conservative majority in place, arguments over whether the Affordable Care Act should be struck down. KPCC's Jackie Fortier reviews what the end of the ACA could mean for California. If that happens, the state will lose several billion dollars a year in federal health insurance subsidies, and its expansion of Medi-Cal would take a big hit. Mike Wallace is a health professor at UCLA. The state could pay for expansion, but it would have to pay 100 percent versus like 10 percent. Governor Gavin Newsom estimates that would cost the state $20 billion a year. A shrunken Medi-Cal program would hurt the poorest Californians. Wallace says if the ACA falls, protections for people with pre-existing conditions, everything from pregnancy to high blood pressure, would disappear. COVID-19 could fall into that category as well. And he says seniors would pay more because Medicare premiums would go up. The state legislature might be able to pass laws that would let at least part of the ACA continue to exist in California, but everything will hinge on what the Supreme Court does. For the California Report, I'm Jackie Fortier in Los Angeles. In politics, the Golden State is often painted as a solidly blue state. But the 2020 election has shown that when issues are on the ballot, California leans a little more to the right. CAP Radio's Nicole Nixon reports. No surprise, unofficial election results show California voters going for Democrat Joe Biden. The party dominates state government, too. But that's not California's entire political story. Everybody focuses on candidates. Well, the initiatives are where all of the policy is done. Jim Debu is a Democratic strategist who worked on the successful No on Prop 21 campaign this cycle, advocating against expanded rent control laws. He says Californians are not always going to turn to their political parties for guidance on ballot measures. When you're having a discussion with voters about initiatives, 
the partisanship pieces separate. The current state of the proposition show voters siding with business interests this time around. They rejected regulations on dialysis clinics. And despite opposition from labor unions and progressive Senator Bernie Sanders, voters opted to let companies like Uber and Lyft exempt their drivers from state labor laws. 24 years after banning it, voters again rejected affirmative action, which allows diversity to be considered in public sector hiring and college admissions. Not exactly on brand with California's progressive identity. California isn't a big blue banner. Robin Swanson is another political consultant. There is a whole Central Valley that we all have to pay attention to, and certainly other parts of the state that don't just vote in a monolith. Places like Orange County and Fresno have become more supportive of Democratic candidates recently. But the way voters in these counties went on this year's propositions show they still have strong anti-tax, pro-business views. For the California Report, I'm Nicole Nixon in Sacramento. Changes to California's elections brought on by the pandemic could become permanent. KQED politics reporter Guy Marjorati has more. This year, the state legislature approved mailing every voter a ballot in order to avoid crowding at the polls. Bay Area Assemblyman Mark Berman, who wrote that law, says 2020's record voter participation proves that expanded vote by mail was a success. It's important to move in the direction of making this permanent because more and more voters are getting used to the convenience of voting by mail. And I think we, as a government, should do everything that we can to make it as easy as possible for people to vote. Making the change permanent does raise some questions about funding. This year, Congress sent counties extra money to run their elections, but keeping universal vote-by-mail and in-person voting options could prove costly in years to come. For the California Report, I'm Guy Marzarati. And that's the California Report for Tuesday, November 10th, a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm Saul Gonzalez in L.A. Thanks for listening and have a great day. Support for the California Report comes from the law firm Perkins Coie, a trusted legal advisor to innovative companies and industry leaders throughout California and the world. Learn more at PerkinsCOIE.com. Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose philanthropy includes Schmidt Futures, focused on finding exceptional people and helping them do more for others together. On the web at SchmidtFutures.com and Personal Capital, offering professional-grade financial tools and objective advice from a fiduciary. PersonalCapital.com. Hi, I'm Sasha Koka, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse, golden state. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as, like, the place to be California. The land of milk and honey, that's where you go to Sunshine State, but we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. 
Do you love learning about the San Francisco Bay Area? Its history, its people, its unique blend of cultures? Then you should check out The Bay Curious Book. I'm Katrina Schwartz, editor and producer on The Bay Curious Podcast, and I'm here to let you know that for the month of May, we've worked out a sweet deal for KQED podcast listeners. Right now, you can get The Bay Curious ebook for $1.99. That's right, $1.99. Just search for Bay Curious wherever you get your ebooks or find the link in our show notes. This offer does expire at the end of the month, though, so you'll want to act on it fast. Happy reading! Happy reading!